Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In this universe, life must thrive as a mathematical certainty. There are those who maintain intelligent life is visiting Earth now. Project Ares is on the front lines to find the answers to this very question. It's my honor to introduce your host and lead investigator, Chris DiPerno. And this is Project Ares. Welcome, everybody, to KGRARadio.com, bringing you the best in UFO and paranormal research. Broadcasting from our command center from the Hudson Valley area of New York, the area 51 of the East Coast, is our great producer, Bill. I'm Griffin Tyler, introducing your host, retired major crimes detective and MUFON's assistant director for New York, your host, Chris DiPerno. And we're bringing you Project Ares. Ah, good evening, folks. I'm Christopher Pernal. What's up for tonight? Well, tonight's guest is a retired lieutenant colonel from the United States Air Force with over 20 years of experience in military intelligence. He's now the chief investigator for MUFON in Virginia and one of the best UFO investigators I have seen. We're going to be talking about his UFO investigations in Virginia and how he's using his intelligence skills to investigate these unknown phenomenons. Folks, this guy is going to turn the UFO field upside down. He's got some of the best ideas and new technology to study this stuff. Hey, but before we start, we all at the Project Aries team want to send our prayers out to the President and the First Lady. I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat. It doesn't matter. We don't hate or wish this President or the First Lady, any harm. And we all wish them all a very speedy recovery. Listen, we need to come together at this time. And let's stop with this crazy hate. We're one nation, one nation. Bill, what do you think? I amen to that, Chris. I just want to say on behalf of KGRA, everyone here at KGRA, God bless the President of the United States, the First Lady, everyone who's been affected by the pandemic and also on a global level as well. So, again, speedy recovery to the president. Our thoughts and prayers are with you. Also, yeah. I want to just add in the in the little bit of the news. Uh, besides that, my man Griffin Tyler uh, lost his golf game, and now I got to pay a five hundred dollars stake to Mister Danny Baldwin as soon as the COVID thing is over. Um, Thanks, thanks, Griff. I just really appreciate that. Before we start with the news, that uh, I'm going to be, I, we're just going to order a half a cow and then we're just going to sit there and mortgage my house. But that's okay, Griff. Okay, I'll never bet on you again, intern. All right, let's go with the news, Griff. What's our first story tonight? All right, Chris. Great Scott. Back to the Future may not be science Ooh. fiction anymore. A new study suggests paradox-free time travel is quote theoretically possible. The research public in classic and quantum gravity suggests that if time travel were possible and a person changed events in the past, 
the future would eventually correct itself so the paradox does not exist. The study says that the math checks out. So physicists say it is possible, but logically it's hard to accept because that would affect our concept of our freedoms. It would mean that you could time travel, but you could not do anything that would cause a paradox. No matter what you did, the events would just recalibrate around you. That would mean you would try try as you might. The paradox of the event will not occur. They will simply just adjust themselves. I don't know about this time travel stuff. Mm-hmm. Let's just say we go back and we kill Hitler. Okay, we'll go back. Who's going to take his place, Himmler? How do you go from the frying pan to the fire? This guy? You know, can it get worse? And who's to say that these scientists are absolutely right that, well, it won't change anything? Well, you know, come on. If we can't change anything, what's the sense of going back? So you can just watch this type of stuff? Yeah. Do you want to really relive this COVID thing over again? Oh, God, please. You know, I just don't think that's going to work. Well, okay, Griff, what's our next story? Next story, Chris, the Russians might need a bigger boat. A defecting Russian scientist has surfaced with a mind-bending account of what really occurred when him and his colleagues went missing for five days in a mysterious lake 12,000 feet beneath the Antarctic ice. Dr. Anton told authorities in his research discovered a bizarre and deadly life form dubbed Organism 46B, a highly intelligent octopus-like creature that claimed the lives of three of his team members. The Russian crew who breached the subgalactic lake back in 2012 encountered a bizarre and deadly life form. It sounds like something out of a science fiction, or maybe it might be. I, you know, did anybody take a picture of this thing? I mean, is there any evidence? They say a couple of scientists kicked the bucket over this thing. Uh, listen, I don't know much about the Russian society or anything, but I do know this. If something took off a couple of their scientists, they're going to throw a big-ass bomb down there and pull that thing to (laughs) octopus heaven. So I'm not sure if this story is a jive. Hey, folks, you research it. You let me know. Griff, what's our next story? Our next story, Chris, can blasting the air in front of hypersonic vehicles with lasers unlock unprecedented speeds? Two of the most significant topics in defense research and development have been directed toward energy systems and hypersonic weapons. The Department of Defense has been pushing the boundaries of what is possible with these technologies, and the effects could someday literally change the face of warfare forever. As it turns out, the two cutting-edge areas of defense research are the beginning are beginning to converge in laboratories with the goal of enabling unprecedented levels of speed for aerial weapons. By combining advanced directed energy technology with the lasting hypersonic vehicle designs, researchers in the Department of Defense founded laboratories that have laid the groundwork for systems designed to create an entire vehicle in laser and or microwave-induced plasma in order to drastically reduce lag. Wow. Let me tell you something. This could be a game changer. We already now think about this. If they're coming out with this now, they had to have this technology for a little bit of a while. So this is going to be a game game changer for them. Can you imagine going at hypersonic speeds? I mean, oh, gone. And just can you imagine being able to go from New York to California in the blink of an eye? 
I mean, this is just amazing stuff that we're working on. I just hope we're ready for this type of stuff. You know, it's it's easy to say we want this stuff, we want this stuff. And then when we put it out there, sometimes we don't always use it for good. So we want to be careful with this. And yes, I want to see this technology. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'd love to see this stuff. But I want to make sure that we are ready for it. Well, Griff, thank you for doing the news for me. Okay, and go tell your uncle that I owe him a steak, okay? <laughs> I will do. All right. Tonight's guest is a retired lieutenant colonel of the United States Air Force. He served over 20 years in the Air Force military intelligence, primary combat operations and intelligence, Whew. weapon systems and technology. But here's another kicker. He was also involved in personnel recovery. I got to ask him about that. As a young child, he had his first UFO sighting of the infamous Black Triangle. As you know, they're flying all over the place now. And he became fascinated with the subject ever since. He's a 30-year astronomer, built his own computer-controlled telescope, checking out what's flying around in the sky. He's now MUFON's chief investigator for Virginia. And I got to tell you, he's one of the best field investigators there is in the United States. Hands down, this guy is like top shelf. My guest tonight... Retired Lieutenant Colonel Mike Klosterman. Mike, how are you? I'm doing great, Chris. Thanks a lot. That was a, a very generous intro. I appreciate that. Oh, uh, no, I, I tell you, wait until you, the folks see some of the stuff that you brought to the table tonight. It is awesome, mind-blowing. It really is cool. All right, Mike, so I'm going to put you right on the spot, right out of the gate. Do you believe that these crafts, some of these crafts are not from this earth? I, I would believe that it's possible. I don't know that... Uh, we can uh, associate every single sighting that automatically those are off-world vehicles as as a lot of people want to promote um, as you know and many investigators know there's a lot of natural uh, occurring phenomenon and even man-made phenomenon that uh, can be mistaken for these mysterious things so yeah i would say some some definitely could be um, but we need to follow the evidence what do you think about the foo fighters back in world war ii and stuff do you think that was a natural phenomenon? I mean, you've studied this stuff probably more than anybody in the UFO field. So what did you think about that? Yeah, the Foo Fighters, uh, you know, I, I wish we could almost uh, like the news, bit, uh, the Griffin's news bit provided with uh, going back in time. I wish we could take some of our technology that we have today and go back to World War II to try to analyze those lights because we, we have, we definitely have plenty firsthand uh, witness testimony from extraordinary military observers. I mean, you, you can't uh, get a better witness than somebody who's in the military, especially if they're a pilot or an aviator. They are trained to have the top-notch situational awareness. So without a doubt, there there are plenty of, of documented cases of these, these orb-type things, and, you know, they, they didn't have the technology we have today, so it remained a mystery. Mike, let's let's start off right off with your sighting when you were a child. Uh, how old were you when you had your first sighting? Uh, I was about, I would say, about eight years old. Uh, we were we were camping on the beach in Padre Island down in uh, Texas uh, near Corpus Christi, and we had an RV that uh, we would actually uh, bring right onto the beach because the sand would be very compact. And one night, uh, it was uh, April. It was kind of a little bit warm and I went I was on the top bunk 
then I went to to kind of unwind the, you know, the the vent in an RV, and I saw this black triangle slowly moving across the opening, and it had sort of this colored like flame, but there was no sound, and I w- jumped down, burst burst the uh, or threw the the blinds open to the dismay of my sister and my parents waking them up. And, and I, and I watched as it kind of paralleled the beach and as if it was searching for something and I didn't hear a single sound. All I heard was the normal sound of the waves uh, crashing on the beach. Um, so it was a soundless, you know, craft that, uh, you know, it, you know, when, when you see something like that, it sticks with you forever. Um, was so, it so, something, you know, a military craft that was being tested? I mean, it's possible, but it, it's, it's a striking memory that, you know, I, I relive all the time remembering that and, you know, I've wanted answers, uh, and that's, what's drawn me into this field. Well, you said that it was silent, of course, but you said there was flame coming from it. Yeah, it was like it, it had like some type of like colored, um, if I remember right, it was kind of bluish. Like if you look at a blowtorch, the it's a was more of a blue flame, so like really bright blue flame kind of coming out the back, but no sound. Um, and it, it it the only way I could see the the shape was because the moon was out, and the light from the moon was kind of silhouetting this black you know black triangle so i couldn't really see any detail or markings on it um but i could see you know the the shape of the object uh as it went down the beach and it didn't cast any light down or anything like that it just it just sort of moved moved casually along the beach and then it took off and my parents you know were upset with me waking them up they said i was imagining things (laughs) and you know my sister was trying to beat me up for waking her up and (laughs) well i can tell you this emotions were going crazy well i can understand that all right listen we're getting we're getting questions already coming in so here's the first question for you during your 21 years in the air force did you or anyone else that you knew in the air force have any type of unknown aerial phenomenon occur besides yourself did you guys like over the water cooler talk about say hey you know, when I was a kid, I saw this triangle. No, no kidding. I saw this this shape thing. Uh, no, um, it's sort of taboo. I mean, we don't really kind of talk about things like that or paranormal. I mean, some people would joke about it. I mean, I remember a group of uh, folks. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. 
Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Folks, during one of my assignments, they were kind of into Bigfoot, but they were sort of, you know, not seriously. They were sort of joking about it, and they would always have those uh, Jack Links, you know, commercial things where, you know, those funny commercials. <laughs> so, you know, it was sort of like uh, it was never really taken seriously. But no, I have never had anyone talk to me about it. I didn't talk about this at all. In fact, I didn't even become an investigator until I was out of the Air Force. Um, you know, I just didn't I didn't want that uh, that kind of stigma um, that was out there. It's, it's getting better now, as you know, with the, the, oh, whole, yeah. the whole Nimitz encounter and everything. Well, Mike, I had the same problem when I was a police officer. I was always fascinated with UFOs and aerial phenomenons and stuff as as a detective and a police officer, but as I've told people before, I, I could have the Martians come down right in front of my patrol car and I wouldn't I wouldn't go back and tell my captain. Because right. he'd be sending me right to the shrink and he'd be going, Hey, go uh, <laughs> go see Dr. So and so and have a nice chat with him. Yeah, shrink you know? or drug drug test. One of the yeah. two, right? Or both. Oh yeah, absolutely go pee in the bottle kind of deal and yeah. uh, and stuff. So it was tabooed in these type of paramilitary or military, you know, scenarios that you had, atmosphere type. All right, Mike. You were the chief. You are the chief investigator for MUFON in Virginia, and you got some wild cases going on. I mean, these aren't history cases; these are like cases you're still working on, right? Yeah. In fact, uh, the first one that you're going to cover that's uh, in Newport News is ongoing. Uh, it was just reported uh, la- late last month, and I'm still going through the case material and trying to collect evidence. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's ongoing. Let's talk about that one in Newport News. Amanda, put up the first picture. No, the the very first picture that we had. There There we go. go. Yeah, so this this photo, uh, there was actually a part of a video and photo was captured by a military eyewitness in Newport News, Virginia. Tell me what part of the military he was with, Mike. He was in the Navy. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. No problem. And so he was... uh, he was outside smoking a cigarette, and he, he often uh, looks up because there's quite a bit of military aircraft in the air. You know, Hampton Roads has quite a few bases with, you know, Langley Air Force Base uh, having the F-22s there and, you know, the Super Hornets down at Norfolk and, you know, everything in between. And he was outside, and he was actually looking at the moon. The moon was out during the day, and he was looking up, and that's when he spotted this shiny – he w- couldn't tell if it was – if it was luminous or if it was some type of, you know, metallic aluminum or shiny metal that was reflecting the sun. Um, but it, it just like in this picture, it, it's almost looks like a, you know, a, a cigar shaped thing with some appendages and it was in a nose up sort of position or at least one side tilted. And as the video progressed, it, it kind of came down like in a um, sort of in a falling pattern. And, okay. and then at the last second, it sort of ju- uh, jerked up. So anytime we have uh, sudden altering of, of trajectory, you know, in a, in a fast pace, those are what catch, catch our eye because uh, most man-made things are, you know, are not going to jerk suddenly up or down or left or right. It's usually a smooth motion. Um, and that, that was very surprising. So, 
Um, I started to do some uh, preliminary photo analysis. I have a long way to go. Uh, I want to stabilize the video, but uh, I did do some preliminary photo uh, enhancements. There we go. So let's talk about that picture. Look sure. at that thing. Oh my God. Sure. So what you're looking at is just one frame of that video. And I uh, played around with the luminosity, the contrast, a little bit of the gamma. I was trying in this particular shot to try to identify if there was any type of um, emission around the object, which you can clearly tell there's sort of a roundish haze around it mm -hmm. and almost like a jet-like uh, pronounced uh, something coming off the bottom. I'm not going to say exhaust because we don't know what it is, but there is something streaking off to the, the bottom towards the right. Um, so that first enhancement was really looking at the exterior. Um, the next one here, I uh, changed the uh, playing around with the, the color values. I did a invert. I inverted the colors, and I was trying to bring out more detail of the of the center part. And it's a little bit hard to tell in in here, but there is sort of a orb or a round, like a sphere type, central region with a with a gap. And I was trying to bring that out to the, really determine the overall shape. So it, it looks like a sort of a, um, yeah, sort of like a diamond, diamond yep. shape. Yeah, that one, that one's good. And you can still see some of that sort of haze around it. Um, and then in the middle is that, that gap, um, that darker area. So, you know, this was just my preliminary, preliminary work. Um, it is definitely uh, not um, a lens flare. You know, I've ruled out quite a few things just from um, the mechanics of photography. And so it's uh, an actual craft. Then, it is. Right? It is an actual flying object. Yeah. And okay. I looked at the metadata uh, of the photos um, in the video to determine if it was altered. You can do error level analysis. It's called ELA. And you can identify if, if something's been doctored with like Photoshop. Um, I checked for that. That was negative. Um, everything appeared legitimate and they were all raw uh, video and photos from this gentleman's phone, which was a Galaxy Note 2. Um, and it's, it's definitely, uh, you know, I'm not an expert in photo analysis and forensic photography. Um, well, you're doing a but, damn good job. I can tell so you thank that. You. It's, Thank you. I appreciate that. It's definitely something I'm trying to learn more about. Um, so I'm going to probably run it by our MUFON photo analysis team with uh, Sam, as you, as you know very well, they're up there in New York, yep. and see if he can help as well, in particular with the video. Um, I have a program called um, Video Cleaner. Uh, the police departments use that a lot of times for forensic work on videos. Mm -hmm. um, it's not the most user-friendly, so you know, something like that would be helpful. Uh, so more no. work to do. Amanda, would you put that last picture back up again? Because I got a couple of questions about that. Now, we, you were talking about that aura. I, I call it an aura because it's just like almost like the Tic Tac videos. Yeah. From the Nimitz there. Exactly. But you can actually see an aura around that craft, correct? Yes. It, it appears to, at least from the pixel values. Now, I, there is no uh, data behind this. Like there, this would not be, um, th there's no filtering. This was all done in software. 
Um, ideally, and I'll get into this later on as we talk about some of the cases, ideally you'd want to try to get more scientific data, not just a raw photograph, so that you could try to measure, you know, whether it's heat uh, properties or uh, chemical properties to determine if that's if that's just an effect from the atmosphere, you know, depending on the weather during the day, if it was uh, humid out, you know, just like airliners have contrails, you know, mm -hmm. it, it could be a phenomenon that's perfectly natural uh, around this craft. Yeah, it's um, just so amazing, though, that the Nimitz had the same thing as yeah. this craft here. And now, as we just said on the news, we're now using lasers to more or less like spread the atmosphere in order to go faster and the hypersonic right so do you think it, it, just theory i'm not going to hold you to it of course but do you think we're on the same level as this now or kind of going in the same direction well like i mentioned um i would say the movement of this craft was was fairly uh normal as as a craft goes up until the point where it it suddenly moved up and down and just like in the Tic Tac encounter, if you had that sudden of a movement, if there were occupants in a vehicle like that, the G-forces would crush them. So there, there, to me, clearly that, that was very abnormal. That was one marker that struck me uh, overwhelmingly as, you know, this needs a lot more careful scrutiny. It's not something you can just brush off. Um, so that's what led me to these steps. Um, but yeah, seeing a, either a shock wave or perhaps ionization of the air, um, anytime a craft that's traveling at very high speed, uh, like the space shuttle, for example, when it was reentering that Earth's atmosphere, uh, it, a, common, uh, a common problem that would occur is co communications would go out. And the reason being is uh, there is a tremendous amount of heat that ionizes the surrounding air, the, the atmosphere. Uh, you know, that's made up mostly of nitrogen and oxygen, that air gets ionized. It's stripping the electrons off of those atoms and interferes with radio signals. Um, that is detectable. Uh, ion, a plasma is actually generated from that level of, of temperature and energy. Um, and that is visible. Just if you recall in, in science class when you're a kid or uh, you know, maybe watching, you know, PBS or something, you saw those big plasma globes that you could touch and, you know, see the the electricity in them. They um, don't have physics class on The Simpsons or The Family Guy. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I have a little problem with with that. And, you know, I became a cop, so I didn't go and, and do all this physics and stuff <laughs> that you're talking about. So bring it down to comic book level for me, pal. Sure, sure. And, um, so what... Basically, it's it's where the atmosphere is disrupted um, be, due to high temperature, and it it will basically cause a blurring or 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 an aura type effect. And whether that's what's going on here or not, uh, that's difficult to tell. Um, that that is that would definitely be something I would want to explore more. Good for you. All right, so we got that case going on in Virginia, and you're still working on that. But you got an entity and a possible abduction case going on in Bristol, Virginia, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, that Let's was talk actually, about that. Sure, sure. So that one uh, was last year. Um, I have not been on too many on-site investigations, uh, certainly not now with COVID, oh, um, yeah. but even previously. 
it's rare that we have uh, a case that warrants like immediate, you know, uh, on-site investigation. This was one of them. Um, so this this was a case down in Bristol, Virginia, which is right literally on the border between Virginia and Tennessee. And uh, the witness was alone at night watching TV, and she was sitting down in in a lounge chair watching the TV. And all of a sudden, her dog started barking like crazy, and the hair started to stick up on it, and they were snarling at something. And she got frightened yeah. thinking there was an intruder. She got up. And as soon as she looked through the kitchen into the door that leads into the the dining room, she saw this entity and it, she immediately froze. Um, she remembers like reliving her entire life, almost like, uh, you know, when you, people explain about, you know, having near death experiences, like the whole life flashes before their eyes. Right. And she remembered all these situations where, she was about to come into some type of harm, like a car accident or other moments. And she always somehow... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let, me, let me take it back a little bit a second, yeah. Mike. Are you saying that when she saw this entity, she yeah. had like a, a flash or something? Yes. Yeah, so something right. was transmitted to her, sort of like a, a thought? Well, that, that's what... So this is what she is revealing to us. Now, okay. you know, there's a lot of things that need to be investigated, certainly when someone makes these claims. Right. So as she was relaying this, this is just what, what she recalled. She said that uh, it was as if he was trying to let her know, he, he or it, I should say it, was letting her know that he was had been with her her whole life and that there were moments that she saw as if it was through someone else's eyes. And she said she was frozen, like she couldn't move when this was happening. She said it felt like hours had gone by. And then she finally was okay, she came to her senses, but she was like in shock, of course, very traumatic. And her dogs were still yapping and snarling. And this, this creature that you saw there, who was taller than the doorway, uh, was had stooped down. His, his hand had like a wrap on it that was like oozing something, like some dark liquid. Like she had the sense that it was injured and it was some type of wrap or something. Um, he brought that hand up and, and then kind of brought it down in front of the dogs. And as soon as he did that, the dog. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Immediately stopped snarling and they laid down and they they were um, looked like they were, um, you know, obeying this creature. And she was still like 
in in shock. I mean, she couldn't do anything. And then, right. And so it eventually left. um, And she immediately went and called her husband and was, you know, for days. When we when we arrived, it had only been I I think it was three days later. She was still so emotional. I mean, every time we brought up any aspect whatsoever, um, she was showing signs of trauma. I mean, she was uh, like having a hard time breathing, and we had to calm her down a number of times. So clearly, I mean, something definitely occurred with her. There was not a doubt. We had a a person um, on our team uh, who is a clinician. Uh, as you know, a lot of the MUFON uh, yeah. folks rely on the ERT team, the Experiencer Research Team, and we have one. Her name's Maddie Tobias. Shout out to Maddie if you're listening. I know uh, Maddie very well. T- tremendous expertise in particular the VA and other areas with PTSD. Um, we <clears throat> not only want to get data, but we need to also assure these experiencers, whatever they experience, to you know, that they have a place to turn and they can talk to somebody and it's confidential. So Maddie was, I got her involved immediately to try to calm her down and help. Um, I had brought my equipment. Uh, I was going to try to take some forensic uh, trace evidence samples. Um, we did a fluorescence check on that doorway to see if there was any residual. Mike, let uh, me stop you right yeah. there for one quick second sure. because we're going to take, right for right now, we're going to take a quick station break. Folks, sure. you're listening to KGRARadio.com, your contact for the best alternative talk radio on the planet. This is the Project Every Show with our guest tonight, Mike Klosterman. Okay, Mike, we were talking about this entity that comes up dripping on the floor or doing something. What do we got? Yeah, so my partner and I, we started to do some analysis. Um we set up a, um, it's called a tri-field meter, which measures electromagnetic radiation in, in the full spectrum to identify if there was anything uh, weird in terms of magnetic or otherwise that could perhaps cause some type of medical effect or hallucination. Um, we didn't see anything. Um, I took uh, um, some equipment I have to, oftentimes it's used for looking at blood stains that might not be readily visible. Yeah. A, a UV light. It's yep. a, a near, I think it was a near UV spectral um, filter on it and was looking for any type of residual uh, prints or marks on the door frame. Did you see any? I, I saw something uh, honestly, but it was really hard to tell if it was recent or if it had been there from some other, you know, someone's with greasy hands. I mean, this is the kitchen. You know, it, 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 I couldn't pin it down and we took a swab um, sample of that. Um, there's no, we don't have any conclusive results. Mike, um, describe this being that she saw, because this isn't your typical gray. This right. thing is pretty tall. It went over yeah. the door frame, right? Yeah, it was, it was, you know, nine, nine feet tall, roughly she described. And she said it, it she remembered it distinctly having to duck to you know look through the the doorway there we go and it had a claw-like hands um uh, three fingers claw-like um interesting markings on the forehead now at first i so i didn't take a whole lot of um detail into this picture originally but later on i asked her there she put a she this was a drawing from the witness 
She okay. drew this triangle mark above its eye that she said was a very distinct red triangle right above his would have been its right eye. Um, it had like a, as far as she could tell, just a very slit like mouth. Uh, she couldn't see the other side of the head. Um, as it turned, it turned and it was in shadow. Uh, that was a darkened room. So she couldn't see any detail after it, it disappeared into the shadows and then left. And she didn't hear any door slam, no nothing. You know, when it when it started to turn, she was freaking out. And her immediate thought was to call her husband and uh, call the police. Um, she <laughs> what was, is the police going to do? There's well, an alien in my house. Yeah. I mean, it's her, you know, somebody, some intruder, obviously. Yeah. yeah uh, it, yes, <laughs> exactly. But, she, you know, in her state of mind, uh, she, you know, she didn't know what to do. So. Well, I can understand. Now, Mike. With this thing now, you said something that's very interesting because I have investigated abductees that have had a triangle mark on them. Right. And now you're explaining that the actual alien had a distinctive triangle mark. Exactly. And then Is this it, like a branding? Well, here's here's the thing. So days went by. Um and when we were there with her, she didn't she didn't claim to have had any kind of contact at all. Um, but she did say that she she didn't ever see this creature again, but she said that she sensed him um, okay. several times in the middle of the night. Her dogs would start going ape, ape shit again, and they would just go bananas. And she sensed the presence, but she never saw the being again. One day she woke up in the in the morning. She had these red triangle shapes in her scalp and she sent me these photos that you know now these I, that's what i'm talking about yeah abductees a lot of them are coming up with these triangle marks on them explain right. it mike yeah it, exactly and i am not uh familiar with abductions really at all this was the first case that i had of and i'm not sure it is an abduction i mean we don't have proof of that right um, i don't have proof what that is other than it's a red mark um, we really, you know, it's one of those things where I really wanted her to get medical care to try and get a skin sample and I requested her to do that. And she didn't, she didn't want to do that. So it was an opportunity lost because if we, you know, I'm look, these extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, in a case like this, you would, you would definitely want to try to get some type of skin sample um yeah. and get it tested uh the fact that we weren't able to do that she would not con consent to doing that you know really is a is a loss i in a way i understand she's kind of creeped out by the whole thing i don't know you know it's again she seemed very sincere uh what was going on so something happened whether it was a creature whether you know any of those kinds of things again I, we really need to get evidence and we didn't have it at that time. I agree with you, Mike, but I will tell you this, that I have seen that mark before on people's top of their skulls. It's been sometimes so deep that they actually, the, the wound is open. It's like they almost wow. do a, a triangle incision and stuff there. And that is one of the marks that we on the experience of research team have looked at. But I've seen that mark, that particular mark on abductees' arms. 
that they've had that mark right on their bicep or on their forearm. Somewheres, uh, it looks like, you know, they were doing something to their skin or scalp right. to take a sample. So that is not uncommon with abductees. Now, obviously, you hit it right on the head. You're going to have to take some kind of skin sample. You're going to have to do some kind of evidence work, physical evidence work, um, because, you know, this is a unique situation because one of them, uh, we don't get a lot of abductees that uh, talk about a nine-foot uh, creature coming into their doorway like this and kind of dripping whatever substance, you know, from them or whatever. Right. Which I didn't find uh, any trace of either body. Yeah, and that that kind of blows me a little on the side when you, you know, there should be some kind of mark or something. I mean, right. you know, some kind of residue or anything. But, you know, let's, let's get case. back yeah. to Exciting case, nonetheless. Yeah, it was, yeah. you know, of course, we're always hoping for some type of fantastic, incredible discovery with, you know, some type of lab result, uh, you know, and we don't get it always. And, but it's important to, you know, follow, follow the evidence. And, sure. Now, you've been, you've been doing some steady sighting of orbs in Virginia. I mean, you've been getting a right. lot of them, especially around Route 81 quarter near Stroudsburg. You know, what, what are they looking for? Is it nuclear power, seismic fault zone, military base? What's your theory on this and what's going on there? Yeah, um, actually, I I've, uh, I use a, a tool that we often use in, in the intelligence field. Um, actually, we're using more and more. It's called uh, ArcGIS. It's a geospatial tool. And uh, um, it's, it's a web map where I've plotted wow. uh, in Virginia. All of those dots are uh, orb-type sightings. Now, orb is, is not in MUFON. We don't have a category for orb. We have uh, fireball, we have sphere, we have things like that. So I, I basically scrubbed the data and um, pulled in all the ones that fit that description and plotted them. And then I, I tried to identify, start identifying correlations. Um, there is a pattern. It's not easily seen on this map, but there is a somewhat lately um, a lot of sightings along Interstate I-81 from Strasburg in the north all the way down to Bristol, where that uh, that one uh, entity case was. That whole path all along between the mountains, between the Blue Ridge Mountains there and you know along the Appalachian Mountains, um, we've been getting lots of orb-type sightings. I mean, that's the more prevalent type of object that we're, we're getting. Um, this particular map has sightings that go all the way back to the 50s. So th this is all of the ones that we had up until I believe this data set uh, ended in 2018. Uh, so it doesn't have all of the newer ones, but it's like something about Interstate 81, that whole area. Well, Mike, I mean, some people's theories that these orbs are scout ships, like one man, two man party scout ships going around looking for something. And you've been doing a lot of research on all kinds of things. What's your theory? What do you think they're looking for? I mean, obviously, what's in the Blue Ridge Mountains other than its beauty? You know, I don't think they're right. down, down here sightseeing. Uh, right. What do you think they're looking for? Uh, I don't know, but that's that's the whole point, uh, you know, in the intelligence field or investigative field, like in law enforcement. You know, you're going to want to try to identify um, data that might correlate. You want to try to find patterns and trends. 
so that's what I attempted to do. I take the data that we have, which were those sightings. Um, I take the time of day, the the year, the the month. Um, I look at patterns, so patterns in time. Um, then I started looking geospatial with that map by by using looking at seismic faults because there is a there is a theory that some of these are could be what's called earthquake lights. There were studies done in the 70s okay. and 80s uh, where there are seismic fault zones um, which act almost like a piezoelectric effect. So like if you ever had one of those wintergreen lifesavers as a kid that if you go in a dark room and you bite down really hard, they leave like a little spark. I don't know if you did that as a kid. I did that. Um, that's a piezoelectric effect. It's crystals that you're applying a transverse force onto that causes the um, those crystals have potential energy it emits a small spark. So that's what these researchers on these earthquake lights were thinking that perhaps these seismic zones where these plates are are shifting could be causing you know some type of emanation like that. The problem with that is there the episodes where they've been lucky enough to actually there's been only a handful where they've photographed something they look almost more like a blue flame coming out of the ground. They're not floating up in the air. And all of these type of objects that we're seeing are in the air. They're sometimes, you know, hundreds of feet, sometimes just a few feet off the ground. So that, that doesn't match all the cases. Are you talking about something similar to ball lightning or completely different? Um, it could be ball lightning. However, some of these uh, sightings will last uh, half an hour or more, and ball lightning uh, has, has not lasted that long. No. So, so I'm, you know, I'm looking at the geology of the area of those mountains, um, you know, and uh, trying to identify uh, the mineralogy content. Like, is there uh, potential rare earth metals? <clears throat> you know, what is unique about that? Uh, so. You, know, you but, found something though in the Blue Ridge Mountains because you helped me with it in the Hudson Valley. That's Explain right. That. That's right. So there, there is a both a magnetic and a gravity anomaly. So the U.S. Geological Service uh, has quite a large data set out there that's that's free for the use. And uh, you know, if you have the knowledge of how to do geospatial analysis, you can plot all that data. And that's what I was doing with that web tool. So. I obtained uh, the survey data that was airborne surveys that were done uh, from the 1980s all the way, uh, well, some of it was the 80s, some of it was the 90s. And it was using airborne sensors to detect slight variations in the gravitational um, strength. And it's due to different densities really in the different types of rock. So. You know, obviously, if you have very heavy, dense granite, there's going to be a slight deviation there. So I was trying to use that to determine if it's a specific density or gravity, um, you know, gra uh, use the gravity data to determine type of rock formations or something that might correlate. And interestingly enough, where there were a lot of those sightings happened to be um, very uh, interesting um you know, have higher than normal gravity in those mountains. And I would say that's, you know, makes sense with the granite. But interestingly enough, as you saw, I looked over in the Hudson Valley where there's a lot of activity and just to see what that looked like. And you could almost draw a line right where a lot of the sightings are happen to also be 
where that gravity anomaly is. Only if I remember right, in the Hudson Valley, it was the opposite. It was a extremely low. It was like the negative. Um, so yeah, there's certainly something peculiar about possibly about that. I wouldn't say it's a smoking gun, but it's data that it's is, something got to be looked at. It's, I mean, yeah. we have to look at it and, and it say, because if you're seeing in in the in the mountains up there and you're getting a lot of orb sightings and we see it in the Hudson Valley and there's a traffic jam of UFOs in the Hudson Valley, for God's sakes. Um, you know, like I said, they're not out there doing the tourist thing. They, they've got to be looking for something. It's just a matter right. of putting the pieces together. All right. So let me ask you my next question, because you are just a phenomenal investigator. Your idea of UFO being a UFO investigator is to push the envelope. What do you mean? And what tools are you using to, to track and detect UFOs? And how does artificial intelligence come into this? We, you mentioned artificial intelligence. Sure, sure. I'll, I'll mention that as well as a few other uh, scientific ways of getting data. So artificial intelligence is using computers, which are very, very good at detecting similarities between, between large volumes of data. Um, it's also uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning are also commonly used in things that have, and yeah, I'll talk about the UFO data project in another one, but there's... Um, Computer vision is a term used for using uh, video and cameras to take in the sites uh, around and having a computer uh, learn to um, de uh, identify the objects in that field of view. So uh, there's a great example of this. Uh, you can go online and look up uh, Zooniverse. The Zooniverse project, um, it was a crowd a crowdsourcing thing where you have citizen scientists try to, you know, automatic or they try to identify a species of animal that was in like the African savanna to help scientists. They were actually tagging these different animals to train a computer algorithm so that it could be automated. And the computer, once it's taught, you know, this is a zebra, this is a, a canary or whatever, the computer would then, once it's trained with those images, it would be able to automatically alert the um, bi uh, biologists that were studying these animals when a particular variety. So that's a good example of computer vision. Um, so, so I so want to apply that. So you can actually teach this program. This is an airplane. This is a helicopter. This is a UFO. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. And so we have that technology that can now look up there and say, I know the military's got it, but is it oh, for commercial it's, use? It's used uh, all over without you may even be being aware of it. So traffic cameras that, t you know, snap a, p a picture um, if you are if you go through a red light or if you're speeding or, or even more popular are those uh, like a toll booth. What's uh, a problem is, uh, yeah, yeah. just taking a picture is not a big deal, but to identify where to try to take the picture to capture the license plate, what, you know, vehicles are different lengths. So it has to know if a vehicle is a car, a bus, a semi, a trailer. So it needs to know that the license plate it needs to take a picture of is, you know, is not in the same position. And so it's trained on an algorithm. So there's examples 
everywhere just about. You just don't necessarily know it. It's also not just computer vision, but going through vast amounts of data to pick out patterns and trends. You see that every day when you go on Amazon. When you pick an object, it will offer up, hey, you might also like. Well, it knows that because it has been keeping track of your patterns, of your shopping history. That's an example of machine learning where it is taking all of the data and identify it's predicting what a potential future course of action can be. So my thought is, on pushing the envelope, is we need to apply the same technology to the UFO enigma. We have vast archives of data going back to, you know, with Project Blue Book and, and, and beyond, vast archives of data. MUFON has hundreds of thousands of records. And, uh, you know, I believe it's time that we, we take a, a look on the grander scale at the data to try to identify some of these trends as opposed to looking at it case by case basis. What about Skyhub? What, what's Skyhub? Yeah, right so, um, you know, that, that computer vision example that I was mentioning. Yeah, put that up, Amanda, would you yeah. Amanda's so this, the best. So this is one group, uh, UFO Data uh, Project. There's another one also called Skyhub. These are just two examples of using a set of cameras that will track, that will automatically uh, identify something moving in the frame, track, and automatically turn on other instruments. They have radar, uh, they have uh, infrared cameras, they have spectroscopy, they have radiometry, they have a magnetometer, um, they have a seismometer, they have, it's a whole suite of, of equipment that are, um, it's basically, um, uh, cued by Can normal people dial into this. Like if I want to dial into a mic and, or are folks listening, can they say, Hey, I want to dial into this and check this out. I, I, to my knowledge, not yet. I believe these are still, uh, in production or they're still in prototype efforts. Um, uh, I know, I know the UF, the, uh, sky hub one, if you can throw that one up real quick, sky hub is an open source effort that if you're a programmer, it's, the code is free. Um, you can build your own suite of equipment using a um, NVIDIA Nano, a Jetson Nano um, GPU-based computer. Amanda, and, you got that Skyhub uh, photo so we can show the people? No, no, the Skyhub. To Skyhub. That's okay. Yeah, that's, don't worry yeah. about it. We'll, so Sky, we'll, 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 we'll let them know. Skyhub, um, I've been involved with those guys from time to time, uh, chatting with them with ideas um, to add to their suite. Um, so again, my background also is astronomy, and one of my uh, favorite things to do would take would be to take a spectrum of stars, in particular uh, candidates that are you know very unstable uh, stars, cataclysmic variable stars, and you want to try to identify. Uh, the emission lines or absorption lines in the spectra so you can identify what chemical properties there are of that star emitting as it's expanding and contracting. Well, likewise, I believe especially these orb-type objects, if we could obtain spectra of those, then we, if it's emitting light, we could actually be able to identify some type of chemical properties perhaps of, remember that ionization topic that we talked about, you know, if there's plasma, right. we could we could actually determine that, and that would be another fact. So I was recommending to the Skyhub team 
uh, that they include on one of their cameras a, a spectral uh, filter, just like the one I have that I use for astronomy. And uh, so they're, you know, they're considering that. I mean, there's a whole group of people building suites of this stuff under the Skyhub team. And so you've got AI programmers. Scary name. It reminds me of that Terminator movie. Oh, Skynet. Skynet. Yeah. 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 This stuff is going, the technology's going that way, buddy. Hey, listen, I got another question for you yeah. because we're running out of time here. No problem. You talk about uh, a disservice to the science of UFOs because we don't research the whole package of all things paranormal. And you mentioned a near-death experience. Our, you know, the last question tonight I got for you, buddy, what are you talking about with near-death experience and, and the whole package? Yeah, so, I mean, we as humans, uh, you know, we like to try to bend things into nice, neat little boxes, you know, that it's got to fit this or this. Yeah. But you know, nature isn't like that. Nature is way incredibly more complex than to just be able to box it into a nice narrow thing. So, you know, I, I've read uh, quite a few papers about um, when I was researching orbs, I came across a number of uh, interesting stories. One was by a gentleman, Dr. Um, Eb Eben Alexander, Eben Alexander. He was a physician who came down with a type of meningitis that was fatal in almost all cases. It was like a 1% chance of survival. Ooh. And it, it basically is destroying the brain. It's, it's completely obliterating the brain. He went into a coma. The doctors were monitoring. He was on life support. And he explains that he had this, what he can explain is like a vision. I mean, he, he was out of it. He should, the part of the brain that was being attacked, um, it was in the neocortex, which would be responsible for dreams and things like that. So it's, it's impossible that what he's saying was a dream or a vision, but he experienced something. And one of the things that he experienced was um, that he felt at peace and that he was, you know, in a, at first he felt like in darkness, like he couldn't sense anything. And he was suspecting that was because of the, the bacterial infection. But then all of a sudden it changed into like this serene white area. And there was like this ball of white light that was spinning and people described the music of the orbs. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase, but he, he called it that he said it was giving off this incredibly perfect music that you can't, he can't even describe the perfection of the music. And it was this orb spinning in front of him and it made him feel that everything was going to be okay. That's um, great. That's so, awesome. Yeah. I mean, and, and he's a, he is a doctor. He was never a believer in that. And he went out on a limb with his professional credibility to write this. It's in the math. I think the Massachusetts uh, medical review, it's a peer reviewed journal that he wrote about this. Well, I bet you he's a believer now. Yeah. And so, you know, I've see, I've come across other instances where people, you know, say they see like orbs or glowing balls of light that, you know, who are we to say that, you know, it, that there isn't a relationship of that? Well, I'm sure there is. And right. you know what, Mike, we got to wrap it up now because that's the end of the show. But I got to tell you, we got to have you back on because you got some awesome information on there. So that's our show this week. I want to thank my fantastic guests. Mike Klusterman, thank you for being with us tonight, Mike. That thank is you. awesome. Remember, folks, always, always challenge the information you receive, question it, debate it, look for alternative answers, push for the answers, demand them. It's only then we can get to the truth. 
This is the Project Area Show on KGRARadio.com. You can contact me at any time at my email address, projectareashow at yahoo.com, for any comments or information. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Christopher DiPerno, with my great producer, Bill, my awesome intern, Griffin, and the amazing Amanda, you know, working in the Aries Command Center. Until next week, have a good night. We're out of here.